This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Good afternoon. How are you today? Today on the Country Hour, between now and the news at one, what is delaying the start of the wet season in the north of the state? There are a few theories going around, but at this point, pastoralists in the Pilbara, Gascoigne and West Kimberley in particular are really just wanting the skies to open up and for that rain to start. Different story on the other side of the country, isn't it? In Queensland, you're going to meet a cattle producer just west of Gympie in Queensland's Wide Bay region who is really worried about his cattle, still looking for those cattle after about a metre of rain fell late on Friday night. You'll hear his story uh, just after news headlines at half past 12 today. And also, Rio Tinto is keen to reduce its carbon footprint, announcing plans to trial four battery electric trains in the Pilbara. For the Pilbara, our rail fleet and our locomotives are one of the big diesel users. So starting the journey to reduce those emissions is a really important step. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour and I was in the shop, what, a couple of days ago, I think. There was not a broccoli in sight and uh, the kids were really thankful for that. But have you noticed the same sort of thing? There's just a few different items here and there that are missing on the shelves at the moment. Um, Pretty scarce. And that shortage of food is being blamed on the latest wave of the COVID pandemic, which is keeping workers at home. The CEO of the Woolworths Group, Brad Banducci, gives Hamish McDonald just an indication of how bad the situation is. Look, it is patchy, and I think that is unfortunately the right description of it. Uh, It is all based on the challenges of getting the the product through our distribution centres, given the absenteeism I just uh, talked to, which has all been uh, very legitimate. So uh, in some cases, it might be a a shortage of of meat or late delivery of of meat. uh, And there are issues also with some of the manufacturers of meat also having uh, absenteeism challenges. Uh, and that might be true in, you know, in, in Queensland, in, in New South Wales. If you went into our stores last week, you would have seen challenges in fruit and vegetables uh, and just getting the fresh flow through our, our supply chain. I'm in New South Wales. So I haven't been in Victoria. I'm told in Victoria by our team last week, it was less uh, fruit and veg and more just in some of the categories of long life groceries that you sort manifest. So it, it does depend on what time of day you go into a store as well, because we're getting the deliveries there, but sometimes they could be four to six hours late. And then it just does depend on which DC services, which store as to what you see in the store. I would say at this stage, Hamish, there is enough product in our supply chain to meet the needs of all of our customers. It might not always be their favorite brand, unfortunately, and that's where our challenge lies. So it's not a, uh, a cause for panic. It's just uh, a cause for us all focusing and just getting the product flowing and our customers buying what they need. But what's the choke point? Is it the distribution centre? Is it your team's abilities to get stuff on the shelves once it, once it arrives? Or, or does it go further back in the supply chain? Look, it's I can only talk their first, second, third order impacts of COVID. It is really... 
the first order impact is in our distribution centres for us, uh, having had material absenteeism uh, due to Omicron. So that is our major choke point. Now, the second order impact, of course, if we get the product line to the store, we need to make sure we've got enough team members at store. That is an easier issue for us to address uh, than DCs. And then the third order one are the challenges our suppliers face because they will face a variant of our challenges. If they're manufacturing onshore, they will be working through their own absenteeism issues. And if they're importing, they'll talk to the issue you, you alluded to earlier around the ports. Uh, how long do you think the supply issues will last? Hamish, uh, our team would say probably to the end of this week, I would say I would take a more cautious setting and say uh, we really are going into the peak of Omicron. So it's in the next two to three weeks that we will have these uh, spotty challenges inside the supply chain. CEO of the Woolworths Group, Brad Banducci, speaking to Hamish McDonald on RN's Breakfast Show, 9 past 12. Well, the situation here in Western Australia is... Not as bad as what we've seen in uh, social media, on the TV, etc. in the last couple of days with those you know, shelves after shelves of just being empty. And here in WA, it's more of an ad hoc situation with supply shortages at the supermarket. But behind the scenes, industry is keeping a really close eye on what's happening on the East Coast and making plans for when the border opens here on February the 5th. Rob McPherson is the CEO of Markets West, which is the group representing central market wholesalers at the Perth Markets. He told Tara DeLandgraaf there's been minimal disruption due to, due to COVID so far here in WA. And for now, it's business as usual. Yeah, so the demand remains strong in most lines. There's nothing to indicate uh, any COVID effect right now. And when I say COVID effect, there is obviously a COVID effect, but not in regard to shortages. So we're finding a demand is strong and supply is also pretty strong, other than what is natural seasonality, i.e., you know, a a late finish to winter, you know, extended wet weather period and delays, you know, in growing. Things like cherries, you see, we had, you know, their their supply came through late. Um, So, Nothing specifically is um, in short supply in that area. Over the last week or so, we've been seeing those pictures coming through, videos coming through, shortages at supermarket shelves on the East Coast. Uh, I know a lot of those bigger supermarkets obviously deal direct with growers and you represent um, sellers who primarily uh, supply the independent grocery chain markets. But how how are we comparing here on the West Coast? Yeah, well, as I said, the uh, the supply is strong because of the high local content um, of produce provided. So the growers here um, are you know supplying locally, and the wholesalers are procuring locally. So I, I think we're in a much better position than the east coast, which I suppose is probably pretty envious for for some of your uh, your colleagues on the east coast. Rod, I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you mentioned that you're not really seeing any significant impacts due to COVID, but we do know that oh. transporters more and more are saying, "Hey, I'm only going to operate within WA because of those reasons." Yep. Are you expecting yep. that maybe transport issues may start to become a problem? Well, yeah. Uh, how long's a piece of string, Tara? <laughs> the um, the we don't know. It, currently, anything as far as transport is experiencing are minor 
again, labour issues, you know, uh, are there drivers available and the drivers obviously are limited in the amount of time they can spend in the truck. So there are some minor issues there, but uh, generally the uh, the transporters are doing as well as they can to get produce into the market. So nothing dramatic. The, the You know, a slight delay here and there where a, a load might have to be delayed because of um, rostering, but um, nothing anywhere near what's happening on the East Coast. Will that get worse? It may well do. Should uh, labour generally may get worse. Uh, we don't have a crystal ball, but the the expectation is that labour will be affected uh, by an increase in COVID cases, which is the expectation post 5-Feb. Yeah, so you, you're expecting that maybe that, that may increase, that may get more difficult once the, the borders open. I mean, can, can industry put anything in place to try and reduce that disruption or is it a wait and see game, Rod? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, you know, we're, we're going into uncharted waters here and we, and we can only base it on what the other states have experienced um, and maybe even the global experience. There will be an access um, mandate uh, into the markets uh, for vaccinations. So the people that can come into the markets, um, the, the market operator, Perth Markets Group, will be restricting people into the markets who are uh, double vaxxed as a minimum from uh, 31 December, uh, 31 January. That will be one prevention. But if the wholesalers are talking about uh, how to manage their staff and the implications through rosters, you know, uh, in work cells or teams and, um, you know, keeping them well separated, which is probably what they've been doing anyway in the last 12 months and uh, manage the staff through that, uh, that process through their internal working environment to limit that exposure by um, mitigating contact, talking masks and gloves, which they often use anyway in relation to dealing with fresh produce. At the moment, it certainly sounds like there's there's not really an issue when it comes to, to wastage or, or unsold stock due to transporter shortages. But do you sort of feel like perhaps those days are, are a little bit numbered if the borders do open and there is an influx of cases? We could see ourselves in a similar position to the East Coast? Possibly. Our experience with the transporters is that they've prepared well um, they've, you know, they're double vaxxed and, uh, you know, they do, particularly from the East Coast, they, they send their teams over and they're not out in the public. Our experience here is that they're not out in the public because they've got a turnaround time. They need to get their rest. They don't uh, tend to move around a lot socially. Will that change um, in availability? Again, how do we know that the expectation is that will be some effect? Um, how great an effect that will be, we won't know until, until we know. So, yes, there is some consideration of that, how great that needs to be. They're trying to mitigate, they're trying to get around those issues as much as they can. But, uh, you know, that's why they're encouraging vaccination um, among their staff and particularly the the, uh, transport drivers, the transporters that I've spoken to have been confident that they've done what they need to do and can do to ensure that the uh, supply chain suffers minimal disruption through through this state by making sure they, they mitigate, the, you know, trying to eliminate the risk as much as they can. Rod McPherson, Rob McPherson, he's the CEO of Markets West with Tara DeLandgraft, 16 past 12 here on the Country Hour. On the text at 0448 this just in, only the start of things to come, Belinda. Wait until the borders open.
WA government opening up is ludicrous. Myself and my other drivers won't be going east for freight, staying right here, thanks. And that date is looming, isn't it? February 5th, what's it about? Three and a bit weeks away. So coming up quickly, what do you make of it? Be thinking about that date and the implications, I guess, for the supply chains here in Western Australia. What do you make of it? The text 0448 922 604, 17 past 12. One of the country's biggest lamb and sheep meat processors says COVID-related delays and interruptions in the supply chain are the new normal and actually creating closer customer relationships. Fletcher International Exports operates two facilities. There's the one here in Albany and one in Dubbo, New South Wales, with a combined processing capacity of more than 90,000 sheep and lambs per week. Roger Fletcher owns the company. Roger, how are you dealing with the curveballs COVID is throwing your way? Oh, well, it is is a challenge and every day is a new day because um, what we're operating through does take some managing and um you know tomorrow's a different day but um we've we had to here in um in new south wales in dubbo we had a real bad issue with covid way back and you know i think we learned a lot from that um we've got a great workforce and everyone's um double vaccinated they get their booster one and um we're doing the best we can there and um looking after our people as much as we can. The transport sites, um, it's a challenge, but, I mean, we've been in the business for a long time and, uh, you know, you work around that. And um, on ours, um, you know, we've got our own trains that go to Sydney to the ports, but um, the ports were difficult. But that's been a challenge for quite a few reasons. And one, uh, you know, it's a shipping problem all over the world has been a massive hold-up of containers and stuck, stuff's been stuck. We've got to work with customers that know they're going to be late getting products. They've got to order early and um, it's very difficult on our customers. But um, that's a part of the challenge of the industry. Have you had challenges in terms of those supply chain issues and with the transport side of things? Is there a worry in the back of your mind that with the the livestock coming in to be processed there, that there might be hold-ups in, in transport that might make those delays even longer getting to, you know, the supermarkets or the markets well, they're destined what, for? What we've done there, we've tried to um, get in front of ourselves, you know, with product that means you've got to have a a bit of a bank of stock. You've got to have a bank of, you know, utensils you're using, your plastics, cardboard, etc. And I mean, the other issue is a massive issue with labour because you know the labour's not moving around. Um, we're very short of labour. We're very um, difficult to bring anyone in from overseas. We can't bring customers in, and we can't. Um, it's very difficult for us to travel around the world. When was the last time you were over in Western Australia to check on your facility well, here? I, I think it was about March. And, um, you know, I've only got over there twice this year. And um, that, that's all, all last year. We only got over there twice now. That's very difficult. It's not just myself. It's, you know, we've got a lot of our sales people, our quality assurance people and all those people where we work together because we try and keep the company's um, products the same and suit our customers because on this side we do a lot of the sales. So, you know, it's a, 
It's a challenge, but I mean, it keeps us young. What about supply here in in Western Australia at your facility near Albany? Is that going to be an issue for you as you look around and see, you know, uh, how many sheep are still, still in the system here in, in WA and the size well, of the flock? you know, I mean, it, 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 that's been always a challenge over a lot of years. I mean, we've had droughts and we've had, you know, a lot of sheep that moved to the east and, um, you know, we've got huge problems in the east now, so I don't think there'll be too many come, come this way. Uh, we go through those things. We've got to keep our people employed. Um, we've got to keep our customers right. And, uh, you know, you've got to ride with the waves. And, and um, you know, we're in agriculture. We've got to remember we're in agriculture. We've got different seasons, different customers. On, on the bright side, I think, um, you know, sheep meat industry's um, looking very bright over the next few years. We've got middle class coming throughout Asia. And they want to eat protein. And um, I think, you know, that, that part's very good. And on the other end, no country's growing their sheep population, and uh, especially New Zealand and um, China and, and Europe. And uh, I think, you know, we've got quite a lot going for us, and, you know, we've just got to hang in in these tough times. Well, you are a huge exporter of... Um sheep meats around the world. What about the story domestically? Are you, have you increased your supplies uh, domestically at all? In, because we look at the shelves the, and there's not much there in the meat section these days. Well, it, it, yeah, that's, a, that's an issue. I mean, you know, the big major supermarkets virtually process their own product. Um, we, we do specialty products for certain supermarkets, but um, you know, we've we've kept our end of the bargain going, but you know, it's it's been a challenge for them. And 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 the other part they've got is the distribution to their supermarkets, especially in the east. It's very difficult. It's um, you know, they've got Woolworths and Coles got a lot of shops, and uh, it takes some management. And I mean, the challenge is for them too. And I mean, you know, uh, you look at the chicken industry, and um, you know, if you can't process it properly. People are going to have to buy whole chickens and go back to where they come from. You know, when I was a little kid, we used to buy a 70-pound bag of sugar and a, and a big bag of tea, which was blooming um, you know, 50 kilos and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, meat was bought in bigger things. But I think we'll come out of that. And I think the supermarkets have, you know, done a pretty good job managing it and... Um, have they been knocking on your door, the big supermarkets, looking for supply? Well, it's it's very difficult for them to um, to chop and change, and uh, you know we've got our job. We we do a lot of domestic stuff, but it's a different type of product to the major supermarkets. You know, there's a, a huge amount of meat products that go out that people don't realise is going out, whether it's further manufactured and. Uh, go into different jobs and you've got all just ordinary butcher shops, so there's, it's a big job. And how are your customers overseas responding then to this situation? Is everyone just coming to terms with this is the world we live in today and there are going to be delays at times? I, I think that's the best way of saying that they've had probably bigger problems than us, and especially, you know, in America, it's been terrible getting containers unloaded. Europe's the same. Uh, the Middle East is difficult and... Um, you know, and, and the same in China. It's all, all having their difficulties. And quite frankly, I think it brings us closer together, working as a, as a team with our customers and our, our customers working with us. Roger, it's been really good to talk to you. 
Thank you for your time here on the WA Country Hour today. Thanks, Belinda. Thank you. Roger Fletcher, he's the owner of the big lamb and sheep meat processor, Fletcher International Exports, 24 past 12. Before the news at 1 o'clock, I don't know if you've seen this yet. Uh, If you haven't, your chance to have a closer look at Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb marketing campaign, which kicked off this week. And this year's focus, it's all about trying to get Australians back home from overseas by tempting them with a barbecue. So a closer look at that MLA lamb campaign before the news at one. And then, of course, off to Mushay for a wrap of the sheep market. Tracy Kilner going through the yarding and the prices for you. 25 past 12. Hi, my name's Lynn. I've farmed at Arthur River and I've been there for quite a while and I love listening to the country hour. ABC Radio WA. Now, this just in on the text from Clutch Cargo. Hey, Clutch. Who says, when February 5 comes around, we'll be sleeping with the masks on. I don't know. Is that what you're going to be doing? Text through 0448 26 past 12, news headlines not too far away. First up, though, WA Premier Mark McGowan has hit back at claims the state government is slashing native timber allocations despite the ban on logging not coming into place until 2024. On Friday's Country Hour, you heard the Forest Industries Federation of WA CEO Adele Farina saying timber businesses have been told they'll receive up to 60% less than their contracted volume to the end of 2023. One business has been told it's going to receive a third of its contracted volume. Now, on those volume supplies, businesses are just not viable. They are going to sustain losses this year and next year, yet the government expects them to continue to operate while it drags its heel on the exit payments and the transition process for for industries. Timber businesses are being held hostage by the government. Small businesses are being treated disgracefully by this government. Well, the Premier, Mark McGowan, says a number of native timber businesses have requested volumes of native timber significantly higher than the volumes previously supplied. They'll receive a consistent supply of volumes the same as they've received over the last seven years. There's a range in which of uh, timber volumes they can be supplied. What they're seeking is the upper limit, uh, but what they'll receive is consistent with what they've received over the last seven years. Shadow Forestry Minister Steve Martin says he's yet to see any detail to clear up the dispute over this native timber allocation story. These mills have contracts with the state government. I have no idea how the state government can now walk away from an agreement that's in place and not fulfil the contracts they've signed with those mills. They have staff that need to be paid and they need timber that needs to be allocated to those mills. So this is very disappointing news for the West Australian hardwood sector. Have you seen these contracts? Because from what I understand, it should be relatively cut and dry in terms of what sort of quantities are expected in the coming years. How is it that the state government says one number and the industry says another? Well, you'll have to ask the forestry minister exactly why they refuse to uh, to fulfil these contracts. The timber sector have contracts with the state government. The state government, the forestry minister and the premier need to fulfil those contracts and get the timber to the mills that they said they would. Uh, there is an agreement in place. Now, the government have made some announcements about what the future of the sector looks like, but that's in the future. 
in the coming year, those mills expect and have contracts for a certain amount of timber and they deserve to get that timber. So the state government has said that since 2014, the average annual JARA allocation has been 90,000 tonnes of saw log, but in 2022, 160,000 tonnes was requested. If that isn't brought about, what, might, what consequences might we expect to see? Well, quite clearly, jobs will be at risk. Those mills, especially the small ones, will be under serious pressure. Uh, it's another blow for a sector that is still reeling from the state government's announcement some time ago that the, the sector has a limited future. So uh, we, we expected to have some time for that to play out. But now it appears that 2022, the government are going to cut further on uh, the contracts that they have in place. Have you heard any developments either from the Environment Minister or the Forestry Minister with regards to the management plans after 2024? How much more clarification have you seen? I haven't seen anything. Sadly, it's a similar story for the sector. The government have not got the plan in place. They made the announcement. You would have thought they had something in place when that announcement was made about the future of the industry. They appear to be making this up as they go. And that's very disappointing for those communities in the southwest of Western Australia. What, what sort of order of job losses and consequences might we expect both for the industry and for the ultimate destinations of those logs? Well, if you have a mill and you, you were expecting a certain number of logs and you're getting less than that, that, that clearly has an impact on staff. It has an impact on the timber production out of Western Australia that will flow through to the building industry. Uh, we will be importing hardwood. That's, that's quite clear. The furniture manufacturers have already been in touch with me to suggest that they are looking at overseas markets for their furniture wood. We will be importing it. There's no question about that. Shadow State Forestry Minister Steve Martin talking to Angus McIntosh. You are tuned to the Country Hour on the ABC right across Western Australia and it's time for an update from the newsroom in the studio, Brianna Shepherd. Hello. Western Australia has recorded four new local cases of COVID-19, including a person suspected of having the Omicron variant who was infectious in the community. WA Health Minister Amber Jade Sanderson says there's also 11 other cases related to interstate and overseas travel who are all in quarantine. An out-of-control bushfire has forced residents and tourists to evacuate in WA Southwest as it continues to threaten lives and homes. An emergency warning remains in place for parts of Eagle Bay, Naturalist and Dunsborough in the city of Bustleton. The blaze started near Curtis Bay Beach last night and crews are working on building containment lines. And two Williton High School students accused of attempting to kill a teacher have made another brief appearance in the Perth Children's Court. The two girls aged 13 and 14 are alleged to have plotted to kill the woman in online conversations before before the older girl brought a knife to school in November last year and attempted to carry out the plan. The teens weren't required to plead to the charges and had their bail renewed until their next appearance in a month. More news coming up on the hour. Brianna, thank you so much for that update. 28 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And still to come, you will get a listen and a little bit of a, a, bit of a go at Western Australia in the latest Meat and Livestock Australia annual lamb campaign. If you haven't already seen it, um, if you have, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And also shortly just having a look at the contrasting weather conditions from one side of the country to the other. In the north, there are pastoralists who are desperate for some rain and a really good start to the wet season, which has been delayed. And on the other side of the country in Queensland, you'll be popping in there to just west of Gympie to catch up with a cattle producer who is now dealing with the aftermath of about a metre of rain that fell at his place on Friday night.
G'day, this is Hamish McTaggart from Vigimire Station and this is the Country Hour on the ABC. And it is great to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. Off to the Bureau of Meteorology now to catch up with Caroline Crow. Caroline, how's it looking across the southwest land division and in particular in that southwest part of the state where those firefighters are dealing with that fire? Yeah, good afternoon, Belinda. Um, so currently uh, the wind uh, through that area in the southwest near Cape Naturalist is... Um, well, Cape Naturalist is a southwesterly at the moment, um, and we have sort of a little bit more easterly as you go just a little bit inland. Um, so those winds will, uh, you'll get that sea breeze on the southwestern side and we might just get a, that northerly quadrant sea breeze on the eastern side of that area there as well. So that's the main wind regime. And then coming overnight, they will gradually go through the south and back around to the east uh, in that direction. Um, for the remainder of the southwest land division at the moment, uh, we've got east-northeasterly winds generally over most parts. Uh, the west coast is starting to see that uh, southwesterly sea breeze. It's generally clear throughout. There's some mid-level cloud through or high-level cloud through central parts just streaming through there, but remaining clear throughout today. Into tomorrow, so there's a trough that is extending from the Gascoyne and to around the Perth area and very close to the west coast. So during Wednesday, that trough will gradually move inland during the day and we will start to see some isolated showers and thunderstorms on the eastern side of the trough though those showers and thunderstorms should be confined to our east of the southwest land division and mostly through um, Gascoigne, the Gascoigne and the gold fields. Pretty light falls with it so um, little rainfall uh, and possible some dry lightning uh, with that. Um, generally clear through the remaining of the southwest land division for tomorrow. Coming into Thursday that trough is going to continue to move east out of uh, southern parts of the state. The showers and thunderstorms associated will be confined to northern parts of the state and clear throughout the south. On the eastern side of the trough we will might see some um, fresh north northeast northeasterly winds and we'll start getting that southwesterly change behind the trough as well. So those hot temperatures will move inland and we'll start seeing cooler temperatures through the south and uh, western parts of the southwest land division. Coming into Friday, a ridge is going to start pushing through on the, to the south of the state and the winds will start tending more southeasterly, cooler temperatures pushing throughout and apart from some possible light uh, showers along the south coast there between Cape Lewin and around the Albany area. Uh, it's going to be clear throughout and similar for Saturday as well. That ridge is going to continue to push south of the state. Some isolated showers just along the south coast there in the onshore flow. Um, and generally sort of easterly winds and afternoon sea breezes. Well, certainly wishing those uh, firefighters in the southwest of the state all the best as they're dealing with what's in front of them. It's not the only fire in the state at the moment. Obviously, in that southwest of the state, it's really uh, a built-up area, a big tourist area too and residential area. But uh, further north in the Gascoigne, there's another big fire that is still burning. Yesterday, 195,000 hectares of land was burnt. Today, that's increased to 227,000 hectares. Hectares, and there are pastoralists and DFES and all the others doing the best they can. How are conditions, Caroline, through that part of the state, uh, the northern part of the state more broadly, and then the east? 
So we do have elevated fire danger ratings through the Gascoyne for today and that will continue into tomorrow. Uh, currently near that fire that you've just talked about, uh, we've got north northwesterly winds. They are quite fresh at the moment and that will tend around towards the southwesterly during the day with the afternoon sea breezes that pushes through um, that area. From a weather perspective, we're looking at generally clear conditions. The showers and thunderstorms should be confined to east of that area, so there shouldn't be any weather around uh, close to that fire um, today um, or into the sort of next couple of days as well. It will start pushing east and go further north as well. Um, for the remainder of the north, there's a trough that sits through sort of the Kimberley interior area and towards the Pilbara coast and we've got our afternoon showers and thunderstorms through the Kimberley into the Pilbara, into the northeastern parts of the Gascoyne and reaching into the Goldfields area. That will be very similar area for tomorrow uh, with the showers and thunderstorms. They'll be quite gusty in the Kimberley as well today and tomorrow and then as that uh, trough moves east um, in southern parts when we start getting the ridge, uh, the showers and thunderstorms are going to contract further north uh, and be confined mostly to the Kimberley and to uh, the Pilbara and sort of clear those Gascoyne and interior uh, districts on Thursday and very similar conditions for Thursday, uh, sorry, Friday and Saturday. Also got very hot temperatures through northern parts of the state, uh, reaching into the mid-40s. So there is... Um, Severe heatwave conditions are through those regions um, in the coming days and they will gradually ease later in the week as the temperatures start to ease as well. Caroline, I've heard a few forecasters just saying it's a bit early to know uh, whether Western Australia is going to get anything out of ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany as it sort of heads west. Have you got any more insight into where that might track? Uh, at the moment, the current forecast is for it to move uh, through the Gulf of Carpentaria. So it is quite far uh, east of um, the WA region at this point in time. And then it looks as though it's going to continue to move east. But it's a bit early to tell exactly where it's going to move in that sort of mid to longer term range. And exactly, so any rainfall associated with the system will be really dependent on where the system actually moves. Yeah, sure. Okay. And what about warnings for this afternoon then? Currently, we have uh, coastal wind warnings for the Lewin and Albany coast that will extend to the Bunbury Geograph coast tomorrow and also to the Esperance coast. And also, there's a small area in the North Kimberley coast and Ningaloo coast with strong wind warnings for tomorrow. And there are fire weather warnings for the Central West, Gascoyne and Interior fire weather districts today. Thank you, Caroline. It's 21 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And looking at the rainfall over the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning, nothing to report in the south of the state and in the north, just a bit here and there in the Kimberley. Country Downs had 15, Drysdale River Station 25 and Kiltoe Station had 5. ABC Radio, fire ban information. And there is a total fire ban today for parts of the Midwest Gascoyne region. The local government areas included in the ban are in the Midwest Gascoyne region, Carnamar, Carnarvon, Chapman Valley, Karoo, Kew, Dandarigan, Greater Geraldton, Irwin, Meekathara, Minganyu, Morrowa, Mount Magnet, Murchison, Northampton, Sandstone, Shark Bay, Upper Gascoyne, Waluna, 
and Yelgu. During a total fire ban, you must not light fires for cooking, camping or outdoor entertainment, including solid fuel barbecues, fire pits and bonfires. Carry out hot work such as grinding, welding and gas cutting in an area that is not fully enclosed. Go off-road driving using a four-wheel drive, quad bike motorbike, bobcat or similar vehicle, except for agricultural purposes. And if there's a harvest and vehicle movement ban imposed by your local government, you can't use off-road vehicles or harvest, even for industry or agricultural regions. There's more about what you can and can't do during a total fire ban on the DFES website and a map of the affected areas at emergency.wa.gov.au. Just repeating, there is a total fire ban today for parts of the Midwest Gascoigne region. 19 to 1. Well, it's been a pretty dry start to the wet season in the north of the state with pastoralists in the Pilbara, Gascoigne and West Kimberley now desperate for a decent rainfall. Jessica Lingard is a forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. She says there are a number of different theories about the slow start to the season. One suggestion could be it may be the influence that we are in a La Nina year and we do see some more negative influence of the La Nina against rainfall over northern and uh, western WA, obviously because it's a, an eastern states ocean event. Um, it doesn't have too much bearing on the weather over on the west coast. But there are some suggestions that, that might say that it could be linked the other suggestions would be that we haven't seen any lows or any tropical cyclones around the northwest coast yet this year or this season. All the lows that we've had have been over the eastern states um, or out past sort of around the Cocos and Christmas Island area, so out too far west to have too much of an impact. Is there any chance that might turn around, that maybe we will see a low come through and, and drop some much-needed rainfall? Look, we can only hope. At the moment... That's all we need really, isn't it? We just need one low to come through and just bring us some nice rainfall to those areas that are really crying out for it. At this stage, there's nothing that I can see in the sort of the next week or two that's going to bring us any relief with tropical cyclone Tiffany over the northern end of Queensland at the moment and moving over the Northern Territory in the coming days. That's going to suck a lot of the activity out to the east. So we may actually see some sort of a drying influence over the western state while that's still active and then that will sort of recover a little bit once once Cyclone Tiffany moves away and there is a very very slight chance that uh, she may continue moving westwards. There is a lot of uh, model divergence though about where her track will go um, over the next week. The bombs Jessica Lingard with Michelle Stanley. 17 to 1 in Queensland, ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany is expected to re-intensify with parts of the state preparing for heavy rain and strong winds. The cyclone was downgraded to a low-pressure system yesterday after it made landfall on the eastern side of Cape York. The system dumped significant rainfall in the area with more than 174 millimetres falling at Craigley, just south of Port Douglas, in the 24 hours to 5 o'clock this morning. Meanwhile, landholders west of Gympie in Queensland's Wide Bay are still assessing the damage after as much as one metre of rain was dumped on the region on Friday night. Some farmers are reporting losses of up to 100% to irrigated crops, farm infrastructure, livestock, hay supplies and also pets. Reese Inns from Marcella Angerstud is yet to account for all of his cattle. The morning of the flood, we saw about 20 on a mound that was built by my grandfather. 
on the creek bank, but we haven't really seen those cattle since. Around about um, 50, 50 cows missing, I think. That's sort of a bit of an estimate, but yeah, pretty devastated. Incredibly devastating, especially they're your stud cows. Did they have calves at foot, all of them? Yeah, pretty much. We just um, branded them the other day, so we had out of those 90 cows that were in that paddock, there was about 70 calves. So, yeah, most of those would have had calves, yeah. And those calves are gone? Yeah, we, a couple of neighbours have rung us and, and there's um, one next door to us walking around and then there's a couple further down. Very kind neighbours have, have put them in the yard and trying to bottle feed them for us. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we're very thankful for them. Pretty much stud cattle at the moment are priceless. Replacing them will be very difficult, but you said it's the thought of where those cattle have gone and whether or not they're still alive and in trouble is, is yeah, playing on you. Yeah, it is. Uh, just can't get over the creek to see what's there and, uh, you know, we can't... Just don't know where they are and it's all, yeah, it, it, it does your head in. Last night I got a couple of hours sleep and then you keep on waking up with this fright, but, you know... But you hear these cows singing out, and yeah, not much fun. On the upside, you did manage to save some bulls, and you did that in the middle of the night? Yeah, so um, I, I got a phone call and I texted a mate from Tansy, and he told me it was coming up really, really quickly. So uh, it was pouring here at that stage. It was about 7.30, 8 o'clock, and I, I got the bulls off around about 10.30, 11 o'clock. It took me ages to find them pitch black being black bulls are not easy to find um <laughs> terrible so yeah i got um got about 55 of them off the flat and thank thank god were yeah. they pleased to see you not really <laughs> they, i was gonna say did they click their heels and said let's go <laughs> no no they were very hard to typical angus bulls very hard to move <laughs> um i need my blue cattle dog there with me i think but yeah, yeah it was all over the flat by about yeah, another hour. I think it was it was over the flat, so thank God I got them off. What a terrible and quickly unfolding situation to be part of. Yeah, just yeah, just terrible. You really feel for him, don't you? Reese Inns from Marcella Angerstud, west of Gympie in Queensland. It is thirteen minutes to one. You're part of the country hour with Belinda Varaschetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Some resources news for you now. Rio Tinto has announced plans to trial four battery electric trains through the Pilbara. Now, the trains are going to be built in the United States and they run on solar-generated power, helping to cut the company's carbon emissions. Managing Director of Port, Rail and Core Services, Richard Cohen, says the trial will kick off in 2024. Look, this is a really exciting part of our journey towards our target to get 50% emissions reduction by 2030, not only in the Pilbara, but worldwide. For the Pilbara, our rail fleet and our locomotives are one of the big diesel users. So starting the journey to reduce those emissions is a really important step. And these four locos will really help us chart the course for pushing forward on the plan to upgrade all of our locomotives. So these four battery electric trains, how much did they cost and where exactly in the Pilbara will they be trialled? So the, these four locomotives uh, will be trialled as part of our main fleet. So we currently have 220 locomotives in our fleet. 
these are the first four, so we can learn about them, we control them, they'll be running production trains with some support probably from some diesel locomotives, uh, but we'll also use them for testing to see how they integrate with the rest of the system as well. Has Rio used battery-powered, oh, battery electric trains elsewhere, or is this a first for the company? Uh, this, this is a first for us, and it's really part of working together with a partner in Wabtech to build the capability and the capacity of battery electric locomotives. We need them to have quite a high horsepower rating, and this will help as we work together to really build that, that, that optionality for us here in the Pilbara. And globally, where else are people using them? Uh, so, look, this is a developing technology all over the world. The, the size of battery electric loco that we are purchasing from Webtech actually doesn't exist in operation today. So that's one of the exciting parts of this journey is we're going on this journey together to build it, design it, develop it, so we can really use it here, first probably of anywhere in the world. I understand it's still being developed, but is it planned that they'll have the same capabilities as trains currently in use in terms of, for example, how much they can carry? Uh, so they, these locomotives won't have quite the same power as our existing diesel locomotives, but we want to buy these four and then continue to work with Wabtech to, to build that capability so eventually we can do a, a one-for-one replacement between a diesel locomotive and a battery electric locomotive. And these trains, they'll be charged at purpose-built charging stations at the port or the mine. Uh, where will that energy come from? Will it be a renewable source? Yeah, absolutely. As, as we strive to get our 50% reduction in emissions, one of the other projects we're doing in the Pilbara is building a gigawatt of renewable power before 2030. And so that will be the primary source of power that we get throughout our network. So Lots of exciting activities going on in our focus on emissions and the renewable power feeding battery electric locos is a really exciting solution. So how long will it take for the trains to charge or their battery to charge? So that's actually one of the things we don't know yet. That's why we're buying four now as part of our testing and our piloting. We're going to learn about how they work in our network. We'll get some recharge actually from the braking system on board the locomotives when they're running. And we'll also have to recharge in locations. We need to learn that as we develop the solutions. And if it is successful in that uh, 2024 trial, what will happen afterwards? Uh, then, we, then we hope to have higher capacity locomotives and progressively work our way uh, through upgrading the fleet. And upgrading may be purchasing new, new. It may also be about retrofitting some of our existing locomotives. Would the end goal to be replacing the entire fleet with battery-powered trains? Over time, absolutely. Uh, We want to be in a position where we do achieve the 50% reduction by 2030. We also want to make sure by 2030 we're not procuring any more diesel locomotives. And progressively, as we stretch towards the goal of zero, we'll absolutely plan to replace all of our locomotives. Richard Cohen, he's the Managing Director of Port, Rail and Core Services for Rio Tinto, speaking to Samantha Girling. And it looks like this is very much the future of trains in the mining industry because just last week FMG announced it was working with Caterpillar on two battery electric trains. And then last September, Roy Hill announced it was going to be working with Wobtech the same one that Rio is working with, to secure a number of battery electric trains for its fleet too. Eight minutes to one. Not far away from a wrap of the Muche sheep market, Tracy Kilner will call in shortly. 
And just before that, Meat and Livestock Australia's annual lamb marketing campaign kicked off this week. And the focus this year is trying to get Australians back home from abroad by tempting them with a barbecue. The annual advertisement launches in January every year and it's all about boosting lamb sales over the summer period. Reporter Jane McNaughton took a look at this year's instalment. I've explored the four corners of the globe from Darwin to the southern tip of Tassie. Trust me, there's nothing else out there. I'll explain this. After years of international border closures, it's easy to forget there is a whole other world out there until you read the country of origin labelling on your kid's teddy bear. Forgot about China. But we've forgotten there's a whole world out there. And do you know what else happens to the country if we're isolated for too long? People learn the names of the state premiers. Yeah, but also the rest of the world forgets about us. We need to send a message. Let the world know we're still here. But how? MLA's Graham Yardy is hoping the smell of fresh lamb on the barbie will get people booking tickets back to Australia. That's it. Lamb. We took this upon ourselves to say, well, if lamb is the, uh, is the meat that brings people together, then uh, what better way to potentially bring the world back together and bring Australia back to the world when, with a, uh, inviting the world to a, a lamb barbecue. A national lamb rollout? About bloody time. The industry body has been running comical advertisements for over a decade to try and boost sales of lamb over the summer period, reporting that last year's advertisement generated an additional 16.8% in sales. A lot of marketers and people in advertising talk about, you know, bringing fame to brands and I think it, it, it has been, it's sort of become something that is anticipated by people. Um, it, it, it carries the brand a lot through the year um, and, you know, a lot of people associate lamb with with this summer campaign and, um, you know, icons like, like Sam Pekovic who's been in the, in the ad as well. So all of these things just help to keep lamb top of mind. It's, it's very hard to cut through um, these days as a marketer. It's very hard to get noticed. And so to have people almost uh, wanting to know when your ad is going to drop, you know, that's a, it's almost a luxury as a brand. So, you know, we're very cognizant of that. We're very, very mindful that we need to make that, work for uh, lamb producers and make sure that we we don't squander that opportunity but we do get those sales and we do make sure that we're building on the brand and building on past successes. Planes! This year the ad is celebrating Australians and international travellers finally being able to get back together again for social and economic benefit with a shout-out to some of the struggles other agricultural commodities have faced since the borders shut. Good to see the Victorians finally out of the house. Oh, look, the French are here. Backpackers. Thank God we don't have to pick our own fruit anymore. There's a, there's a truth to it, you know. It's, it's one of the challenges that we've faced, um, you know, by being isolated, that we've got to face into those things, and it's one of the news stories that, that, that made headlines, and... Um, and yeah, so look, I mean, it's a it's a reality. So um, and you know the, the the challenges that we face by being isolated, um, you know, are very real. And I think that's one of the things that we we want, did want to call out. I told you there was a whole world out there. So where do you think you'll go first? I think I'll stay here a little longer. 
And McNaughton with that report, she was speaking to MLA's domestic market manager, Graham Yardy. Four to one here on the country, on the ABC right across Western Australia. And it's time to head off to Muche for the results of today's sheep sale. Numbers were up about 4,000 from the last sale last year to 10,143. Tracy Kilner is at the sale. And Tracy, what was the yarding like today? Um, it was a mixed quality yarding with a small but excellent selection of heavy lambs and ewes. The values gained with demand on all categories. Limited numbers of good heavy lambs topped at 219, while the heavy weathers topped the market at $240 and best heavy ewes sold to $213 a head. In the lamb market, the under 12 kilo carcass weight lambs sold from 68 to $121 for merino weather lambs. The under 18 kilo carcass weight range made from 105 to 155 dollars, with graziers, live export feeders, and restockers competing. Trade weight lambs saw the lighter weight sell for 144 up to 187 for the heavy weights. Heavy lambs made from 185 to 219 dollars a head. The ewe mutton yarding saw lightweight and store ewes sell at 80 to 155 dollars with a fleece. The prime trade weight used, 25 to 30 kilo carcass weight, made from 155 to $195 with a fleece. Better quality heavy 30 kilo plus use sold at $190 to $213. Best heavy weathers returned $190 to $240. And mature rams were again in high demand selling from $64 to $180 depending on weights. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you so much for going through those details. That's a wrap of the sheep market today and numbers up. What did she say? 4,000 numbers were up today compared to the last sale of last year. So a total yarding today of 10,143. Now, I think it's going to be Tracy tomorrow with a report from the Katanning sheep market, but um, all will be revealed here on tomorrow's Country Hour because the livestock markets are just cranking up, as you know, after the Christmas New Year break. So we'll do the Katanning sheep tomorrow, and I think it's the Mount Barker cattle on Thursday. And a sheep, are the wool sales back? I think they're back this week. I'm getting the nod. Uh, so we'll do a wrap of that on Friday's Country Hour. Not far away from the news at one. And then after the news at one, it's time for this. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. Return serve. Will the federal government make another attempt to cancel the visa of tennis star Novak Djokovic? What about the asylum seekers who remain in detention? The Djokovic case draws attention to their plight. And allied healthcare workers say the Prime Minister's calls to push through the pandemic are appalling and show a lack of empathy for the workforce on the front line. Those stories are more coming up on The World Today. Which is not too far away. Just recapping the top story today, taking a look at the supermarket shelves around the country. Uh, pretty bare, particularly in parts of the eastern states where COVID's playing all sorts of havoc with the supply chain and just can't get that produce to the shelves. It's not the situation, well, not to that extent anyway, here in Western Australia. Not yet anyway, uh, but the border is apparently opening on February the 5th. So the markets here in WA just trying to prepare for that and ensure there are no delays in the supply chains here. Time for the news. It is one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.